Residential Lighting Specialist to Arc Residential Welcome to Residential Tech Talks. I'm Jeremy Glowacki, Executive Editor of Residential Tech Today. In this episode, I'm joined by Sean Weiner, former owner of Star Systems, a Baltimore-based custom integration firm that is now part of the Bravis network of independent custom integration companies. Sean has unique insight having served as CTO of Bravis when it launched a year ago. Now he is returning to running his former Star Systems Baltimore branch of Bravis after the departure of its local president. Because of failures of industry roll-ups in the past, there were some naysayers about Bravis when it launched a year ago, but it's a year later, they're still going strong, they're adding companies, and it is the middle of a global recession to boot. So I thought it'd be a great time to catch up with Sean about Bravis and learn a little bit more about his background um, as a custom integrator. Sean, I, I really appreciate you joining me. Thanks for, uh, for uh, telling us what's going on there. Thanks for having me, Jeremy's good to talk to you. Well, you know, we, I interviewed you about a year ago um, and you know, we mostly talked about your CTO role at Bravis and you gave great insight into how the group was formed. Uh, I really wanted to touch on some of that because I think that understanding what the original formation of what was called the Bravis Group was, you know, you're working with uh, Vital Management, which is basically Paul Starkey and Stephen First, who are industry consultants, uh, veterans. One's, um, Paul is pretty much a business-minded guy. Stephen's very finance-oriented, I believe. Um, and you had an initial 15 companies that came together as, as Bravis, but can you talk about how you got together as a group where you recruited? Did you sort of find your way organically um, into that consulting uh, arrangement and, and how did it go from there? Yeah. So um, I've known Steve for years. Um, Steve first, that is mostly through, uh, you know, CD events and, and courses and industry speaking and, and those types of things. And um, always thought he had great ideas and, and, uh, we talked a few times about Vital becoming a consultant for Star back in the day. Um, and I ran into Steve outside of the convention center in, in Denver um, uh, several years ago. It must have been four years ago at this point, maybe five. Um, and we got to talking about uh, this. It, it wasn't Bravis at the time. There was, it was actually not a name yet. Um, the idea of, of putting together uh, like-minded companies with the intent of, of you know, sharing best practices, not, not different really from a buying group, um, okay. some of the buying groups we work with now. Mm -hmm. um, but the goal was really to put these companies together um, to share best practices, but then to consider rolling them up. And I think this is where Paul Starkey came into the conversation um, with some private equity backing uh, to create a national integrator. And, and it, would, uh, it would give us a lot of different advantages doing that, as, as I'm sure we'll talk about over the course of this, this time. But mm -hmm. um, really the intent being we can make our businesses better. We can start sharing some of those mundane tasks that get in the way of, of what you know, AV guys are really good at. Um, so we, we could, we could, at the same time, we're building and improving our, our local businesses, uh, look forward to a day when we could combine these entities into one larger company and take advantage of all those things. And, and, um, I'll, I'll admit I was a little skeptical when I first heard about it. Um, but after meeting the group and getting to know the other companies that were involved and, and, and a couple of years in, it was like, wow, you know, this, this really could work. Um, and here we are. So right out of the gate, it was already a plan. That's interesting. Uh, had he already um, had buy-in from other companies at that point when you talked to him? There, there were. I was not the first in the group, so there were already a few companies involved who who believed uh, in the idea. 
Um, okay. And I know that he spoke to some that, that weren't quite, you know, buying it at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but it, it seemed like an, an interesting concept to me. And, and in my opinion, uh, you know, best cases, uh, it works out exactly as described. In worst cases, I get a lot of really good advice and meet some great industry, industry people and, and learn more about, you know, the industry and how others run their businesses. And I can apply that to my own. What were some of the initial, um, once the group really started rolling there and, and everybody started working together and this was a real, real plan, um, what were some of those initial um, kind of challenges or goals to, to combine your operations or get on the same sort of operating structure? Um, I would assume like a, um, y- y- the way you, you re- report your financials and that sort of thing is part of that, right? Are you talking about before the merger or since? The yeah, merger? before the merger, as you were kind of putting this group together, and what would it need to be to get that private equity, you know, and, and to be seen as a, a single entity, kind of. Well, I think that the challenge was really reporting, right? Because every small business, for you know, counts things their own way, um, and, and some is right, and some is wrong, and some is uh, in some gray area between right and wrong as to as to how this is supposed to work. Um, but what Steve did early on is he has his binder. Uh, of you know how to use QuickBooks for a uh, an integration firm, and that's exactly what he's been doing as a consultant for as long as I've known him. Um, and so he took those principles and he applied that to us, where we all started counting things the same way. Um, and once you start having charts of accounts that that line up, you can start to compare company to company and see you know where the metrics make sense and create actual metrics. It's one thing to talk about. I mean, as long as I've been in this business, revenue per employee has been the uh, the mantra, right? Mm-hmm. You should be two hundred thousand dollars a year in revenues per employee. Um, and, and that probably is a, is a good rule of thumb. You can be profitable uh, at that metric, but that can't be the only thing to go by. Uh, there's got to be some other ones. And, and, and lining up all those financials allowed us to look at that and make those decisions and, and see how we were doing uh, individually and as a group. And did it kind of grow organically as far as the adding of different integrator companies as you went? Or did the group kind of form as a, as a 15 member or so group? early on and then you just work together for those couple of years before the private equity thing? I, I don't remember exactly. Um, my memory is not as good as it once was how many <laughs> were in the group when I joined. Um, it definitely grew after I was, as became a part of it. Um, and, and there were some that came and went, they, they didn't all stick around and okay. there were some that were added, you know, closer to the end of the transition. Um, but the, uh, they, they all went through the, the Steve and Paul interview process. So they, they met with Steve and Paul and look, there was a cost to being in the group. So it wasn't oh, okay. something you jump on board and just say, Hey, uh, this is free. I'm in. Um, so when, when, when they were vetted properly and they felt like they'd be a good fit, Paul and Steve felt they'd be a good fit. If they were interested in participating, uh, they kind of put the money where their mouth was and, and joined us in the group. And, uh, and that's where we took it. And so then you, uh, about a year ago now, I guess it was you, got this private equity, $75 million investment um, from Presidio. And leading up to that, I don't know how much detail we need to get into there, but um, was this something that you you kind of saw as a opportunity and then you started sort of ramping up even further then as far as what the structure needed to be in terms of leadership roles and that type of thing over the individual branches? Um, what, what, yeah. what was that final stage right before the Bravis announcement was made? Last, so last when, probably about a year before that, that was announced, we, we realized that we had to have an internal management structure in place to, okay. to start this process. We started putting those pieces together. You know, Ryan Anderson came on as a CEO. Um, Jay Vandermeid became the COO. Um, probably about five or six months after that was when I took on the CTO position. 
kind of started, we, we started to create a roadmap for what this looked like once the, the investment was made. We, we were in the due diligence process. We understood this was you know, more likely to happen than not. I mean, any deal can fall through at the 11th hour, but mm-hmm. uh, we were all working toward that goal of, of you know, when this completes, this is how we're going to you know, manage the locations and how we're going to manage the, the, the processes inside the organization. Um, so we put that in place before the transaction took place. So it was really, you know, it was a seminal moment for the industry, I think, when that uh, was announced. Uh, but for us, that was just the, the permission to really go full speed ahead. We were, we were kind of riding with one foot on the brake for a while because right. uh, we were still responsible for our own individual businesses and our own companies and our own locations. Uh, but at the same time, we were putting forth a lot of effort. And it wasn't just the, the three of us. There were, you know, uh, Doug Klein, who's our CFO now, was on board. Uh, without a salary before before the company even started, before the transaction happened, for for a, a little while actually, um, and all the GMs were working towards this uh, uh, this deal. So it it was a a, a really significant group effort, um, and it was impressive that we were able to maintain our individual businesses while we were putting this deal together. Sure, yeah, yeah. So um, then then the 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 actual merger kind of happens, and you're you're full scale, you're going full speed. Then no foot on the brake anymore. Um, you, you obviously have a unique position in that you become CT, you are a full-time CTO, so you're no longer supposed to be running star systems, which eventually becomes a Bravis you know, name, but for a while it's still star systems. Um, so, so it's kind of hard for you initially to say how did, how did things change, but I, I'm sure you're observing how star systems looked at that point. Um, were there any immediate differences in the way things were going or was it just so like, uh, evolutionary as you went that you just now had backing financial backing it was it wasn't that things went completely unnoticed but um, our, our mantra in the beginning was real let's try and do no harm right we okay, have 50 yeah. solid companies to, to put together what we don't want to do is tear them apart or, or, or create so much change or so much fear inside those organizations that we have problems um, so things came on board I don't want to say slowly but you know purposefully um, mm-hmm. where we, we weren't uh, disrupting the operations of any individual location by doing what we were doing. But we had some other requirements. We had reporting requirements for the investors, for the bank. Um, we had to make sure that we were submitting information on a timely basis. We had to get better at you know, understanding what was happening on a national level instead of a, a bunch of local levels and consolidating that information. So that took a little bit of getting used to. Um, and we did have to explain you know, to the employees of all these companies uh, more than one time. We, we did this all leading up to the transaction and after, and we continue to do that. You know, what are the benefits of being part of a larger company? Sure. You know, immediately you're going to have a much better health insurance plan. It's going to cost you a whole lot less. I mean, that's that's one of the great things that comes out of this. Um, and there, there's a laundry list of those things that uh, we went through to explain what that meant. Um, you know, now we have, you know, we suddenly have accounting and HR departments. What does that mean for you? Mm-hmm. Um, it sounds scary and terrifying because I was always been, I've always been part of a small company and we're part of a, a larger corporation. But um, it, these have all become good things. And I think it's, it, it takes a little while for people to adjust uh, to a lot of change. Um, but from what I've seen across the country, there, you know, we had our hiccups here and there, but for the most part, it went pretty smoothly, all things considered. And, we've, and, and, I, and I attribute that a lot to the, the group of people we put together. There, there's, um, everyone was fully on board and understands what it takes to, to make this work. And, and they all understand that we're all sharing a common goal and we're all interested in getting to the same point. Um, and, and we're all working hard to get there. And then the communication between the branches, how, how um, frequent, let's say pre-pandemic, because things are so crazy now with everybody being on Zoom calls all the time, it seems like, but um, in, in those sort of quote unquote normal days of the uh, pre-pandemic, what were the communication sort of rules for those branch 
Um, do you call them branch presidents then, um, those individuals? GM, general managers, right? GMs, now. that's correct. Okay, gotcha. So each GM, are they talking um, like have a weekly call or what, what's the communication so that everyone's remaining kind of connected? Well, it's interesting because we, we were uh, Zoom based before, before <laughs> COVID, long before COVID. Um, okay. Because we're in so many different areas and travel is, you know, we, we did travel a lot, but it's impossible to travel as much as you would need to. Yeah. Um, and we had a lot of calls. Uh, a lot, um, sometimes two or three a day, depending on what role you're in in the company. Um, we, we've scaled that back and not because we don't need the communication, we scaled it back a bit just to make it more practical and allow us to do our, uh, run our day-to-day -day operations. But there are groups inside the company that communicate on a regular basis. So we've got design and engineering groups that communicate. We have um, accounting and finance groups that communicate, HR groups that communicate, um, sales groups, business development groups, general management groups, operations calls, purchasing calls. Um, so there's all sorts of, of uh, I guess I would call them departments inside mm -hmm. the company um, that are virtual because one member of the department might be in Baltimore and one's in Indianapolis and one is in South Florida. Right. Um, so we uh, we operate largely on, on on the Zoom calls that we're on right now. So I'm I'm kind of stuck to the front of this computer quite a bit. <laughs> right. Um, I did notice when we talked a, a year ago. I, part of the conversation was branding and getting that Bravis name and how how there have been you know, questions in the past about, well, you've got your client base who knows this company name. Are you going to shoot yourself in the foot by suddenly changing names or, you know, even local reputation, people are going to know, well, where, where that company go that I heard was so good, you know? And then, uh, I don't know when it was a couple months ago, I saw the signage at the in, Indianapolis, you said Indianapolis, we have, I'm in Carmel, Indiana, and the Carmel branch uh, changed their signs. And I, I just had a little smile because I thought, all right, good. You guys are on board. You're, you're going forward now. <laughs> it, it's a real thing. Um, so that, that's that got to be part of it, too, as far as uh, getting all that branding in place and making sure the clients are not freaking out about it who are still really connected to your, comp your different uh, local companies, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, we, we did a lot of, um, I guess, work up ahead of that to make sure that the transition was as smooth as it could be. Uh, but even as good of a job as we did, we still have, you know, Star Systems opened in 1994. Mm -hmm. So we have clients that go back 26 years now. Um, and not everyone saw the email message or read it. Not everyone heard <laughs> the news. Um, so they'll call and, and we answer the phone, Brabus, and they, they're confused for a moment. But um, it gives us an opportunity to explain uh, exactly what I'm explaining to you now with the, the transition we went through, why it's, why it's good for us and good for our customers. And um, and it's been really well received uh, pretty much across the board. I haven't gotten too many negative responses to the transition. Well, that's good. As long as your service is just as strong as it was before, the name really doesn't matter. And then make sure that they can still find you and not uh, think that you went out of business and somebody else bought the company, right? So, uh, part, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I wanted um, to get into more about your, your role as CTO and, and, and talk about products and technologies. But uh, first, I need to take a short break from our sponsor. Thanks for listening to Residential Tech Talks. Today's episode is brought to you by Sony. Sony's OLED TVs and Master Series meet the strict criteria of the top engineers and makes beautiful images a reality. Their 4K HDR TVs pair the brilliance of 4K with the brightness, color, and detail of high dynamic range. See how every scene comes to life with extraordinary realism. Discover a new level of immersive cinematic audio at home. With Dolby Atmos and acoustic surface audio, you'll enjoy three-dimensional surround sound that takes your breath away. See everything new from the world of Sony USA, including electronics, the new PlayStation 5, 
movies, music, and TV shows. Visit www.sony.com to learn more. Welcome back. I'm talking to Sean Weiner from Bravis. Um, you guys recently uh, joined the um, Azion Unlimited buying group. Um, you'd been with a different group, I believe, prior to that. But uh, um, it's interesting that even as a as a kind of a bigger entity as Bravis, that a buying group still is an effective, um, I guess, uh, marketing and networking opportunity uh, outlet for, for your company. Um, can you even maybe give me insight into to how buying groups fit into the Bravis Group's uh, structure. They're great. Um, buying groups, regardless, I think, of how big your company is, uh, bring advantages to the table that aren't just you know bottom line pricing on the products. So um, there are certainly deals that are negotiated by buying groups that are helpful for us, whether it's a starting point or a, a, for a deeper negotiation with our volume or, or just a deal we wouldn't get otherwise with a vendor that we haven't met or even just meeting new vendors at these events. Um, you know, it's, it's one thing to say that we've been selling uh, brand X for, for 20 years and we love it, but maybe brand Y is a, maybe, not, maybe not a competitor, but a, a complimentary product that we haven't seen before and the buying group brings it to our attention. Um, that's a great reason to be there. Um, the other thing too is I was worried early on that we, we don't get too focused on our internal um, knowledge and systems and processes because we've got some great uh, knowledge and great experience across our company and our organization. But if we don't continue to communicate with people outside of our company, um, some of that, uh, th those aha moments that come out of those buying group meetings go away. So right. being in the room with those people, um, with other folks in the industry that are in other markets or even in our, our local markets, like, like I was when I was there with star, mm -hmm. um, I, I learned a lot at those meetings and that, that hasn't stopped. In fact, it might be increasing a little bit because there's, there's more attention paid to what we did. Um, and it also allows us to talk to people about what we're doing. And if there's, if there's people in the meeting, in those meetings that are interested in becoming a part of. Uh, what we're doing. Um, we welcome those conversations all the time too. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what kind of company um, makes a good Bravis um, company? I know that you've got various different sizes, so it's not based on the number of employees by any means or, or revenue I'm, I'm assuming. So what, what's the um, maybe the leadership model that you look for? Um, you're, we don't want to get into who, who, you know, acquiring struck strategy or anything like that. Um, I know that's proprietary, but what, what makes a good Bravis member? It's really about the, the leadership in their company. Um, it doesn't matter to us really whether it's a large company or a small company. You know, small companies can be rolled into you know, larger companies or larger locations in our organization. And, and large companies can become what we call platforms. They can take an entire territory and we can add, you know, help them acquire smaller companies in their market. But it's really about who's running those locations. You know, do they have solid in industry experience? Are they good at are they good sales and business development? Are they great at, are they great, you know, technology folks? Are they great operators? Um, are they finance people? Um, Cause we need all of those. Um, so any combination of those, as long as they're running a good business and they've got a good client list and they can, um, if they enhance what we're currently doing, um, we're welcome. Uh, we would welcome them to our group and love to have a conversation with, with anyone in that category. And, regardless of size. and from a competitive standpoint, I, I had originally thought, well, you know, it's like, you know, most buying groups are very careful about not getting too many members in the same competitive um, region. Um, sometimes that doesn't happen, but generally that's the goal. Um, that way you can just be transparent and open with each other. But when you're looking to bring in other companies as part of the same company, you could essentially have neighboring <laughs> competitors become Bravis members, and then they're just basically one company with shared client base, right? So you, you, you could, it's, there's no real limits on where you could go with this. 
I don't think there are. Um, really, we're, we're looking to build as strong of an organization as we can. And every time we, we add a company, we add talent and, and skill sets that we didn't have before. And, and I'm amazed. And we've only added two so far. Um, but the two we brought in, you know, I've spoken to people from both those locations and they've all contributed to, you know, some of our success here locally in Baltimore. And I, I can only imagine they've done the same across the country in our other locations. So uh, the, the more talent, the deeper our bench, um, the, the better we can perform. And I, I mentioned that we we're going to talk about your CTO role and I want to touch on that. So the, the, that role, um, I would assume you're, you're the one that's, I saw you at CDA last year, you're sitting at a table at a, at a, uh, manufacturer's booth. You're, um, you're the guy that goes out there and, and has those meetings and says, um, you know, this is a good fit for us or just, you know, maintaining those relationships, right. Um, looking at technology trends that you should be addressing, um, and then, but then you have product managers within the um, within the company as well, right? So someone who's specializing in um, a control brand, for instance, yeah. or something like that, correct? So we, we call them subject matter experts. So yes. Um, so I, I was looking at, at more of a broad, you know, ten thousand foot view of to what, te- what which technologies made the most sense, uh, which aligned with our our marketing goals, our business development goals, and more most importantly, our technical and our installation. Um, goals. And then we looked inside those companies and picked the best products. And then we have all sorts of uh, conversations internally with our engineering teams and our designers um, and our technicians about which products uh, work best for various applications. We, we bundle systems together that we think are a good combination of products from you know, one manufacturer and another and put them together. Um, and that, that information flows pretty freely within the organization. Um, and that way we can put the best product out on the street. But we, we also want to make sure that what we're branding is not just all these different manufacturers or products, but we're putting our brand on top of that. Mm-hmm. So the, the product, the end product we deliver might have more of our uh, magic baked into it than just the, the, the sum of the pieces. And so when you talk to a manufacturer, what, what would that mean um, in, in a reality? Um, what, what would the Bravis sort of secret sauce, not to give away secrets, but like, yeah. what would you add to something, an offering to make it Bravis specific then? So, you know, this is like anything else. And I think the dream of, of um, every integration company, when we, I've been talking about this in buying group meetings for probably 20 years, is simplifying your product offerings, um, being more consistent. Um, uh, people use the phrase cookie cutter in our industry, and I hate that term because it makes it sound like it's not, it, you, it's devalued. I think the opposite is true. I think, I think it's, it, you can deliver a product and service consistently on a repeated basis. Um, you can be more successful, have happier clients, do more business. Um, it's a great way to do things. It, it doesn't mean you have to do it at a low level. It's not the lowest common denominator. You can build a, pheno- a phenomenal package or design of systems that's very reliable and then repeat that. Um, and, and that's what we, we look to do. So we look okay. to take, you know, we, we can use, uh, you know, a wellness conversation to sell an upgraded lighting package. We can use um, a security conversation to sell an upgraded surveillance package. Um, and all those things, when we have the solutions pre-baked or at least partially pre-baked, that becomes an easier conversation. It makes us easier to do business with. Uh, it makes it easier for technicians to get the systems installed and completed. Um, so the overall outcome is better for everyone involved, including the manufacturers. And I would imagine you're balancing residential and commercial, correct? We do. We do. And and what? Uh, I, I think we're, we're, the majority of our business is high-end residential, but we do have a, a, a handful of locations that do is pretty significant commercial business as well. Okay. And, and you were uh, CTO over that as well. Cause you, I mean, every, every residential company has some, some commercial light commercial type work. So, so those relationships were also part of your overview as CTO, correct? 
Yeah, I, I leaned really heavily on our technical team, our engineering and design team, um, and and they worked with me very closely. Um, so that if there was something I wasn't completely familiar with, uh, we had other opinions inside the, uh, the organization and other other experts inside the, the company that made it made it work for us. So I think that the really interesting thing now is that um, you know when I originally reached out to you to have this conversation, I, I was thinking you were still CTO. And then I found out you were not um, working in that role specifically because you had lost your GM uh, at, at the former star at your Baltimore location. Right. And so you came back, stepped back into that, that role and, and kind of left the CTO role um, aside. It's not gone. It's just not active at the moment. Right. So you're, you're, uh, you're in, in this unique position of being a GM looking back at the overall structure of Bravis, uh, was your option? What have your observations been from that vantage point? So it's it's actually it was it was a little bit jarring when it happened. Um, but now that I'm I don't know several months into that uh, that experience, it's been interesting because the some of the things that are, are stressful and difficult about being a business owner, um, like I don't know a, a nationwide pandemic and a, a global recession. Um, <laughs> just a, just a couple of maybe <laughs> theoretical ideas. Mm -hmm. They're, while they're still scary, they're not quite as as uh, daunting as they would be if I was here on an island by myself. Sure, um, having this group behind me and 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 having these meetings and um, we had emergency sessions and discussions about what this could look like. Uh, we made plans for how we we're going to handle it and approach it, and 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 thankfully we we came out of it uh, probably stronger than we were going into it. Uh, although we're not fully out yet, but we 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 came out of the scary part um, in better shape than we were going in. Um, and it was reassuring to have that support um, in a time like this. So um, that was, was a huge benefit of being part of this group. It was, it was, uh, I guess, timed well, the transaction being last year and getting us a chance to settle in as, as uh, you know, a single entity and then and going through this together. Um, but even just the, the HR support, having help recruiting employees, having help with um, any kind of personnel issues, somebody managing uh, personal time and vacation and the health insurance, you know, not having to sit through the health insurance meetings every year um, <laughs> to figure out which, which plan is the best. Uh, I know these sound like little things, but they add up. And when, when you yeah. get to that point where um, I can focus now on the sales and business development into this company on the operational and the uh, installation side. Um, and it's not that I don't have to pay attention to finance and HR, um, but I have experts who are way better than I am at those things. Um, in those seats doing that work or the majority of that work for us. Not that any of your individual GMs wouldn't be a good person for this, but it would seem like that any new companies that join Bravis, you would be the person to talk to because you've seen it from a, a global, you know, global standpoint as a, as a executive CTO and as a GM again. And, and you can just say, look, this is, this is what it's really like. And what I didn't realize was how, you know, maybe not realizing until you got back into it, but uh, are, are you fitting, are you feeling good into that, that's that space again? I don't, I don't want to put, put you on the spot as far as your career goals and where you would rather be with the group if you'd rather go back to CTO, but um, is it weird being back in that role? Are you kind of like a good place to be right now? I'd be lying if I said it wasn't an adjustment, um, mm. but but I'm not back in a strange place. I'm back yeah. with the people in the, in the company that I build, and um, I love the folks that I work with. Um, I like I think the work we do is phenomenal. I like the uh, the, the customers we work for. Um, so I, I'm enjoying the role that I'm in, and and ultimately, you know, we we all as as former owners own shares of of Bravis. Um, so we're all vested both personally, mentally, psychologically, and financially as more than both. But um, in the success of the company, 
Um, so if, if I'm contributing and helping make that uh, goal a reality, um, I'm happy in whatever role I'm in. Okay, that's that's a very good answer, very diplomatic, and uh, yeah, and and <laughs> um, I, you know, one of the things I always want to talk about on these uh, podcasts is is people in the industry's background because I think we we get to know each other at trade shows and different meetings, but uh, uh, unless we're really at at a late night. Uh, you know, beer drinking session, we may not get into our childhood discussion or our backgrounds too far. Um, what, what was your upbringing like? What, um, were you really into um, technology or anything like that as a kid? That's an interesting question. I, the, the earliest tech memories I have, so my dad was big into stereos. So he always had, you know, I don't want to say latest and greatest, like we had the budget for that, but he always <laughs> had, you know, a, a nice pair of speakers and a, and, a, and a nice receiver and he played his music loud and, um, and then as he bought new stuff, I was the kid that took it all apart. I had no idea how to put it back together again, but nice. I, I remember disassembling stuff in the, in the basement. Um, so I did enjoy that. I think when I really uh, got into it was when I was in school and needed to find a job to help pay my college expenses. And, um, you know, working as an hourly employee at a restaurant wasn't cutting it. So I ended up working for a company called Wall to Wall Sound and Video, which was the stereo store at the mall. It was half records and half stereos. Okay. Um, and it was a commission job. And I, and I was making a lot of money doing that and um, realized I had a, a knack for it. And I think I had a knack for it before I had a passion for it. But then when I could start affording some of the things that we sold, um, I started getting interested in the, in the audio video part. Um, and when I left college and, and went to work in the real world, I, I, was, I had a degree in economics and had a, a job offer with a bank. And I was going to be an investment banker. That's going wow. to be my career path. And I got an offer from a company in, in Owings Mills that was on the cover of Audio Video Interiors, if you remember that magazine. Oh, yeah. Um, and I think they offered me $6.25 an hour, and I took that job instead. So <laughs> right. I, um, it, it just it was something that seemed, you know, I was fascinated by. I just I liked the idea of integrating components and making things um, move and light up and sound great. And it was, it was, uh, it was a passion after a while. It took me a little while to get there, but it did. I got there. And just out of curiosity, where did you go to school? Uh, University of Delaware. Okay. And uh, so when, when you get into this, uh, you're working in the industry, how long before you, uh, like, like so many others, before you said, oh, I can do this myself, I'm going to open my own company, um, well, whether that's a good idea or not? Yeah. I probably said it on week two of my first job, but I, <laughs> right. I didn't actually do anything about it for... Uh, I don't know, probably, I think it was, so I graduated in 1990 and I opened Star in 94. So I had uh, four years worth of work under my belt before I started uh, this company. And you, you weathered all the storms that everybody weathers, you got through it and you, and you, you made it out to the other side as far as the, the Bravis group thing, which is very rare in our industry. So many stories you hear are the same stories, same war stories for everybody you talk to, but uh, those who have successfully uh, survived a roll up and um, you know, we're, we're only a year in, of course, but it sounds like you guys have, have your feet on the ground. And um, I, I wonder if you if you could sort of say what what is what does success look like? My wife's always using that term. She's very corporate. But, but what, what does success look like for Bravis um, as you as you move forward now? I think it's a, a scaled answer compared to what success looks like for a small integrator. So. I think one of the things that, you know, when I talked to, I, I was in a group called Vistage for a long time, which was a bunch of uh, CEOs of various businesses. And mine was always the smallest company in the group. And some of these uh, were CEOs of $100 million businesses that's, that grew from $2 million businesses in a period of three or four or five years. Um, we're just not scalable as an industry. 
Um, it's too hard to build the relationships that we need to be successful to, to take over new geographies, to find qualified uh, talent and technicians to be part of the organization. So, you know, Brabus was really an opportunity to, to add some scale by bringing in, uh, you know, large chunks and large geographies that are existing and established and well-run. And, and I think that's the vision is, is the more pieces we can bring in. And it's not just, you know, I, every time someone hears there's private equity behind us, the, the, the first thing they think of is, oh, they just want to buy everything and sell it off. And, mm -hmm. I, and I don't, uh, I don't believe that to be true. Um, we were very particular in the, in the companies we spoke to because um, we wanted to make sure that we weren't going to lose uh, our jobs and our passion. Um, we, we don't want to just, you know, sell the cheapest stuff to the lowest common denominator. We want to be the high-end uh, residential integrator with the most talent and the deepest bench and the most uh, resources behind it. And, and we can do that by growing through acquisition. It's, it's the, probably the, the best plan for uh, getting bigger. We can also get more efficient in those locations so we can become more efficient ourselves. Uh, we can you know, acquire companies and help them become more efficient and effective and help them grow in their local markets and continue to acquire. And, and that just starts to snowball and gives us a deeper and deeper bench and more and more resources to work with. Well, you know, we, we spoke about, obviously, every conversation has a, has a component that you have to talk about COVID-19 and, and the pandemic and the, the challenges that that, that creates, um, obviously, for in, in so many ways, but as a business owner. Um, so obviously, com communication, we were talking about all the, all the Zoom calls. What about the technology offerings uh, or the way that you work with clients have changed since we've we've been dealing with COVID? So I think it happened on, on, on two ends. It happened on our end and on the client's end. I think our we had a holy crap moment. I shouldn't say we, I had a holy crap moment when this all started happening. I thought, okay, so we might not be able to visit our clients' homes for a period of time or who knows how long that time will be. Um, I don't know what's gonna happen to new construction. Um, I don't know what's going to happen to renovation work. I don't know what's going to happen to even, even the projects we have in process. Can we finish those? Mm -hmm. um, are we going to be allowed into these projects? Um, and, and we really had to rethink uh, what we were going to do in that time. And I think clients had the same response, you know, you know, okay, well now I'm stuck in this house and, and the construction project I was planning might have to be on hold um, or the construction project I'm in the middle of might be on hold. Um, I've got to work from home. My internet stinks and my lighting is terrible. I didn't realize that the TV in the living room is too small and 20 years old and um, the kids are driving me crazy. So I got to finish off that basement. I mean, uh, what it meant was we have to, we have to visit more places um, mm -hmm. with the same number of people, which is also a challenge. Um, we're used to doing, you know, putting a few people on one large project and we've got to put a lot of people on a bunch of small projects. So we're covering more geography. It means more, more truck rolls. Um, so there was a lot of strategy uh, conversations that went into um, making this a positive, but I think what, what we've seen now that we're six months into this, uh, you know, horrific exercise that we're in, um, <laughs> is that uh, there is money to be spent and, and invested in your home. Um, we're seeing, you know, I know that locally home inventory is low because people can't find houses to buy. So they're fixing up the houses that they're in. Um, and that includes a lot of the things that we do. And I think they're getting a deeper look at the reasons for the uh, behind the products that we sell instead of just I, I read in a magazine i have to have this now they're asking why and i think there's a lot of interest in well you know lighting really is important and i look at the ceiling and think well you know i don't have the lighting that i need in this space um and it'd be really nice to have speakers in the office that i never used before but now i'm in every day um and how do i get my information and, and the zoom thing with my laptop is not working so you know can i can i set up a conference room in my home um, and, and that's, I think that bodes well for all of us. We're seeing our business increase uh, at every location uh, because of that. I've heard from all of our manufacturers that their sales, you know, they, they had a, a rough second quarter, 
uh, but they've been booming ever since. Okay. So, um, you know, everything that we do, it, this is a little bit different than the big recession in 2008 um, because that impacted the wealthy significantly. And that made everybody, I think, pause and say, do I want to invest any money in anything right now? But now I think we're seeing you know, people who are comfortable that their, their uh, jobs are secure and their income is safe um, and they want to improve their surroundings. And that's good for, for this industry for sure. Yeah. And, and looking down the road when eventually we, we have, uh, we are past this, um, what, what changes that you're experiencing now do you think will, will stay there? Um, are, are there, um, I, I, I mean, that's a bigger question. Clearly you don't have the answer to how much of our society is going to change permanently in terms of people going back to big offices now that we learn what we can do remotely. But I mean, I'm sure some of that has to be baked into what you're, strategy is as as a group um maybe you are going to be more home office oriented you're going to have um remote service for when the next crazy thing happens you need to be able to help your clients without going into their home so you, you guys uh you already have a, a plan in place and are doing remote service strategy there right so that's part of part of anything going forward I think it's interesting because the remote service conversation, and we're, we're of course doing that, and I think much of our industry is doing that now. Um, but that conversation sort of rolls into um, other elements of the business. So everything from accounting um, to and product management to sales. And I think there was, um, we, we live in a society prior to March of this year that was an in-person society. All of our conferences were in person. All of our client meetings were in person. Um, I, I don't believe there's truly any substitute for that. I think it's really important to have those interactions. Um, but I don't think you have to have them every time. So, and I think now that, you know, my employees, um, our employees, uh, our clients are comfortable, even our contractors we work with are comfortable having conversations that aren't necessarily in person every time. Um, there's some efficiencies there. It, may, it gives us the ability to do more with less. Um, and then we can look at the employees we can bring on board. So if I've got a fantastic technician that's, you know, far away or further away than I'd ordinarily hire, um, maybe we can make it work because we can do some of that work remotely. Uh, you sure. know, programmers are a great example of something like that. Designers and engineers, you know, we don't have a location in Alaska right now, but if there's a, a programmer in Alaska that wants to work remotely, um, if he's, as long as he's got an internet connection, I think we can, we can probably make that work. And I think we know that better now than we did six months ago. So uh, there are some good things that will come from this for sure. Yeah. Um, I, I was talking to my wife about that and how her company, they, typically recruit locally or when you go to work there, they, they want you to move to the, lo the local um, headquarters location and how that's probably going to change. And the, it's great from a com company standpoint to have all that talent available. But at the same time, as a person who's already working there, you go, oh, wow. Yeah, I, I guess we're going to have competition from everywhere and anywhere, right? But, but so, so it's all good, though. You know, it makes us sharper uh, as, as people. So... Um, are you seeing that there is uh, any any movement from Bravis um, on the home home health kind of front? Whether you said lighting as part of you know client uh, interest, of course that's um, you know we're talking um, all all the health benefits of good quality lighting. Uh, anything else in that space yet, or is that still too far out? No, I think it's it's evolving. I don't think that we're we're seeing you know, 100% buy-in on the concept yet, but there's certainly um, merit to it. And I, I think what's interesting is that we can have a conversation about lighting controls like we always did and talk about, you know, setting the mood and creating a scene and, and 
having security features based on, on your lighting system. But now we can say the same lighting system that offers you all of those things can also offer you some health benefits. And that starts a conversation about, oh, I didn't realize the technology and my health were that, that intertwined. Um, and then you can enter the conversation about uh, your environmental controls and your temperature control and your uh, humidity controls and air quality monitoring, um, the quality of the water in your home, um, even things, yeah, I think Nigel, our marketing, uh, our CEO, uh, said it best. He calls it sound and silence, which is, you know, we spend a lot of time putting speakers in homes, making things sound good, but, but can we make a room quiet? You know, if we need quiet time, can we do that? And there's, there's plenty of acoustical companies that we've all worked with in our theater jobs forever uh, that maybe we can reconsider some other applications for their technologies and their products um, to make the, health, the home healthier and more comfortable. Um, so, yeah, I, I think those conversations are starting to accelerate. Um, and to varying degrees in varying parts of the country. I think that the West Coast might be more apt to accept it before the East Coast, like everything else. Sure, um, sure. But, but we're starting to see um, an uptick in, in those conversations for sure. Well, great. I appreciate um, learning everything about uh, Bravis today. Thanks, Sean, for taking the time to chat with us. Oh, my pleasure. It was a lot of fun. Thanks, Jeremy. And also thanks to everybody for joining us. Be sure to comment, share, or subscribe to the podcast. And also check out all the latest residential tech news at restechtoday.com. Until next time, please stay safe, stay inspired, and let us know if you have a great story to tell.